Kiss or Pop, Season 3, Episode 8. Hello and welcome to the TESOL Pop podcast. My name is Laura and joining me today to talk about her experience using differentiation in class is Maria Jose Diamas. Maria has been teaching since 2002 and currently works as a primary school teacher in a bilingual school in Uruguay. Maria is passionate about including differentiated activities in her classes in order to create an inclusive and motivating learning environment for every student. Maria, thank you for your time and welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Laura. It's a pleasure being here. When I was planning season three of TESOL Pop, Maria, you reached out to me to suggest differentiation as a topic. What was your reason for choosing differentiation? First of all, differentiation is instruction that is designed to support individual students learning in the classroom, especially when their backgrounds, abilities and needs are varied. In my case, I work with four different groups of students and a particularity of each group is that the students have different needs, abilities and also levels. So within one group in particular, for example, last year I had to prepare my 26 students for three different exams. I taught Cambridge Cat and Pet and also the Trinity GSE. So for planning my lessons, I try to cater for all these students' levels and needs and that was only possible thanks to differentiation. The point you raise about differentiation, it's about thinking about the different needs, abilities, and also levels of our learners so that we can create an inclusive learning space. What should we as teachers keep in mind when we're planning and applying differentiation in our classes? One of the things we should bear in mind is this idea of creating a safe and positive learning environment. Students need to feel that they are important in the lesson that they are going to be listened to and that they are the ones who are as a way in charge of their learning. When that happens, learning just flow and they start feeling that they can do whatever they have to do. That's one of the key points, let's say, that we need to bear in mind. Then something important is recognizing their learners' strengths and creating opportunities where they can each apply their strengths. As I said, when they feel that they can do things on their own, that they don't need the teacher's help or guidance that much, they start doing everything the right way. Of course, if they make mistakes, we are there to guide them, to help them. Then setting goals and celebrating their success is also important. So we should be there to encourage them to try again if they make a mistake or to to tell them, yes, that was what I wanted or can you see that you can do it? So these little messages we give them are also really important. I know you have some tips today. What are some of the differentiation strategies you use with your learners to help to embrace individuality and accommodate the different levels, needs and abilities? You know, one of the, the, the strategies that I use is having choices, which are like tables with different squares. And in those squares, I write different activities. Sometimes I give them points for those activities so they are challenged and motivated because they are getting some points and competition becomes interesting too. But they are able to choose what to do. And of course, we have specific objectives. For example, let's say that we are working on science and we want to teach them the butterfly cycle, for example. We just give them different activities for them to choose in order to learn what this butterfly cycle is about. They are the ones who are in charge of their own learning. I tell them, for example, I don't know, okay, read this paragraph about the the butterfly cycle and and they can choose uh, 
five keywords that they find essential to describe the butterfly cycle. For another activity, I just give them a short listening task in which they have to listen to the butterfly cycle and then talk to their classmates about what they understood. Then I can give another activity in which they have to draw the butterfly cycle. So they have different options, but they are all having the same objective or aim in mind. What I love about that example you just gave there is that it demonstrates that learners don't have to be doing exactly the same thing at the same time. They can be doing different things and still achieving the same objective, just like you said. And I guess in a physical classroom, you can move students to those kind of workspaces. So a group who may be working on the listening and summarizing what they heard about the butterfly may be sat around a table at the front of the classroom. And then the ones who are reading and writing key words may be towards the back of the classroom. Is that how you organize it when you have multiple tasks that learners may be choosing? Exactly. And what I usually do is, first of all, that with this type of activities, I can monitor their work much more easily. I can allocate students depending on their needs. Sometimes I do it considering the weak students and the strong students, let's say. So I mix the levels a little bit. So the the ones who are better at reading, for example, get together with those who struggle a little little bit more with the skill. And that gives strong students this idea of, okay, I can help them. So uh, they start working on their metacognitive skills too. The weak students benefit from the explanations and they also get some confidence. So when we do the whole class discussion, they can even participate a little bit more because they were exposed to their classmates' speech and and they can ask their classmates questions in a more confident way. That gives them the possibility of explaining themselves in a more natural way. And after having this discussion with their classmates, with their peers, which is also important. That's a really lovely second example of using interaction patterns in class to support and challenge learners. And what you mentioned there with some stronger learners supporting, it it opens up an opportunity for peer learning and maybe some really useful uses of L1 and the language of study and some nice switching between those languages to support learners in that group. Do you find that's the case? Exactly, yes. Even though I try to, I mean, I encourage them to use the second language, I allowed them to use uh, L1. And because they are doing this group work activity, which I am just monitoring and, and walking around the classroom, when they get to this whole class discussion, they are able to use English and, and they are able to communicate better because they had this previous discussion with their classmates and they were able to ask each other, okay, how do I say this? How do I say that? So that's interesting too. It's connected also with this thing per share strategy that I also use in class. I mean, sometimes I even give them this previous idea of, okay, let's think about what you want to say first. So they just spend one or two minutes without saying anything. And I let them organize their ideas first. They are able to, okay, let's keep quiet. Let's think about what we have to say or what we want to say. Then they work in pairs they discuss with a classmate, and then they are able to share with the whole class. So this breaking down activity allows them to gain confidence, to being able to express themselves much better because they had this previous thinking time. You can 
go around the room while they're talking to their partner and you can identify, you know, maybe those quieter students or shyer students who can say, hey, that's a really good idea. That's that's good. You've got you've got a, a great idea. You should share and you can build their confidence to share with the class, you know, by just being able to move around the classroom or go into breakout rooms if you're online to, to hear and praise when, mm-hmm. you know, while they're working and build up their confidence before sharing as a group exactly and and also linking this idea of okay let's think about what to say uh sometimes i even give them some sentence terms so they have like a card with uh for example i don't know if, if we want them to give opinions i think in my opinion from my point of view i agree i disagree so i give them those sentence terms and they are able to refer to that paper while they are uh, discussing with their classmates or even during the whole class discussion by doing this all of them have something to say they even the the weak students know that they have okay well i can say i think i in my opinion i agree with you and even even if they say i agree with you at least they are saying something so they feel that they have achieved uh, something during the lesson because they were able to say I agree with you. So up to this point we've talked about giving learners choices in classes, you talked about interaction patterns and think pair share as one of those as well and thirdly you talked about giving language support such as sentence stems and useful phrases for learners to refer to. What other tips and strategies do you have to share? One of the ideas they like the most is having like a pyramid. So sometimes I draw a pyramid on the whiteboard or a triangle on the whiteboard. They can choose different activities to work on. So for example, the base of the pyramid will be a compulsory activity and the one on the peak too. And then in the middle, I have like one of those, let's say, steps of the pyramids in which they have three options and on top they have two. So the ones in the middle are the ones that they can choose. I mean, if they have three options, they are going to choose one of them or two. And if they have two options, they are going to choose one of them. So again, they are the ones who are important in the classroom. They are the ones who are going to decide what to do. Of course, we are giving them the activities, so they are not fully in charge. But at least they feel they are responsible for their own learning. So they have like this pyramid with at least four activities that they have to achieve. The tasks are different. The outcome is going to be the same for all of them. But they are going to be working on the activities that that they choose. It really connects nicely to that choices that you mentioned at the start. So in this case, you're giving them a choice of quantity, a choice of way in which doing it. Um, I imagine maybe some students may be able to do more in that pyramid than others. And also they can choose the type of activities they want to do in order to move up the pyramid of tasks. Exactly. Differentiation has a lot of things to do with um, giving them choices, but also with uh, respecting their time. So as you said, they are going to be working following their own pace. So sometimes when they finish those compulsory activities and they finish with the optional ones, they ask me, okay, what should I do now? And I tell them, okay, if you want to go on working with the next activity and they just continue working and maybe they complete the whole, the whole pyramid because they feel that they are being challenged by doing all of them. Something that is really important in order to is that uh, for us teachers, it's also less time consuming. Believe it or not, when I started working with differentiation, I realized that 
having these type of activities saves us a lot of time when planning. I mean, I used to design three activities, three differentiated tasks for a whole week. And my students got hooked during the whole week with those three activities. So I just planned a pyramid, a choice board, and a detector. They had, I, I mean, I just spent a few hours working on that. And then I had a whole week planned with those three activities. I think when I started teaching at my early career, I used to plan so many things and so many different activities. And I think it not only overwhelmed me as a teacher, planning and all the photocopying and cutting out I did, but also I think it overwhelmed my students too, because there wasn't any routine or familiarity from lesson to lesson. It was all very different. And I think looking back, it actually stressed out some of my learners who I only saw, you know, once a week or twice a week um, as part of their studies. And actually having some familiarity and something to be like, oh yes, I'm working on this this week. Let's get into it would have probably saved time in setting up the lesson, kept the students more motivated, and definitely it would have enriched the learning outcomes and the amount of learning that happened in my lessons. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And and I was just thinking while I was listening to you, I was just thinking that sometimes as teachers, we believe that we are losing control of the class because we are having, I don't know, in my case, I have 26 students in the same classroom at the same time. When you start working on differentiation, you realize that you have those 26 students doing different things. And at the very beginning, you may think, oh, I'm going to lose control. Students will be doing different things. I don't know how I'm going to manage to um, control behavior or these different uh, interaction patterns at the same time. But once they get used to it, which is, I believe, that much faster than our speed to get used to things, you realize classroom management is not an issue anymore because they are really motivated. They are really hooked. They are working on what they want to work and and they just do it because it's their choice. Maria, thank you so much for your time and sharing your ideas for differentiation and, and unpacking why it's so important and what we should consider as teachers. This has been a really insightful conversation. Thank you. It's been a pleasure being with you. I love talking about differentiation. It's something I feel that helps us a lot. So thank you very much for having me here. To find out what Maria is studying and to follow her professional development, then I will hyperlink her Instagram account, Delta Module 1, on the website so you can see all the useful tips and summaries she includes on there. And of course, if you have a question or an idea like Maria had today to pitch for the podcast, then you can contact us via the website, tsopop.com.